Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. Jesus, the Word in action shows us the heart and will of God. One of the words that I've been completely stuck on and, and mesmerized with and, and focused upon and, and learning more and more about is that word quick. It comes back to me every time I start to give this lesson again. goes back to Hebrews 4.12 where it says that the Word of God is quick and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut through joint and marrow to get to the heart of a man. But that word quick... I looked it up in the dictionary today, and I just want you to think about that this is talking about God's Word, and that this is the Word that was chosen to describe God's Word quick, and it means alive, to produce, restore, create, living young, invigorate, increase life physically in doing with great powers. And then metaphorically, quick means to quicken like a seed, to germinate, to reproduce, and it means to fulfill, perform, cause, prepare, ordain, bring about, author, lead out, carry out a promise. That is exactly what God's Word does. And it said that God's Word is quick and that it quickens us. It quickens us body, soul, and inside and outside and spirit. It quickens circumstances around us. That's really why the enemy doesn't want us around the Word is because the Word is the sword of the Spirit. The Word is powerful. When we use the Word, when we hear the Word, something in us comes alive. And when you know Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you, I honestly am convinced that I could read one scripture or say one scripture and something quickens inside of Christians as the Holy Spirit starts to stir up. And, and it's not like he's not alive in there when we're not reading the word, but he is responding to, just as the angels respond to the voice and the commandments of the word of God, the Holy Spirit responds to what is already a part of him. And so whenever we speak the word over a situation or pray the word over a situation or believe the word over a situation, we're quickening that thing and we're causing it to produce that which God wants to produce there. And sometimes we have a preconceived notion of, well, this is what God is going to do when I speak this word. But we need to realize, no, he's not. He's going to do something better and something bigger. And his word never returns void, ever. I have a little New Testament paperback Bible that I love called Vox Dei, V-O-X-D-E-I, and it just means voice of God. And I almost wish that all of our Bibles said, instead of the Holy Bible, that they said Vox Dei. Because then we might stop and think, this is God's voice, actually. This is alive and powerful and, and living and breathing. And every time we say it, it does something. It does something in us and to us and through us and to another person. And, and it can't help but touch us because it is alive. It's powerful. And when we look even in the Word of God itself, in John 6.63, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, The Spirit quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I give to you are spirit in their life. So it's saying that the Spirit will actually bring a situation that looks completely lost into a place where it's not lost. It'll bring a situation that's completely dead and over with and dark and gloomy into the light. 
And I've been told that if you don't want to bury something, don't call it dead. Because our words in and of themselves, because of the way that God made us, have power. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and those who eat it love its fruit, or those who love its fruit will eat its fruit. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, what we say and what God says are words that are building blocks, that are logos. Remember when we go back to logos and that words were actually logos, building blocks. That's where we get the word logos in the Greek. That's a derivative of logos is legos, which is Jesus, the word of God. And that he actually spoke the world into being. And so... We need to realize that the word is alive. God's word is alive. And I can say all I want all night long to you. Well, I hope that you don't worry about that. I'm sorry you're anxious about that. Um, I feel for you that you're anxious. Or I can speak the word of God. And if you're a Christian, you're going to feel it quicken when I say, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. All things are possible with God. Matthew 19, 26. You know, when I start speaking the word, there's something that quickens in you. And you can label, even if your circumstances aren't lining up right then, there's something in you that goes truth, truth, truth. That's truth. And so the more we hear of the word, the more it quickens in us. And the more it quickens in us, the more it changes us. And the more it changes us, it changes the things around us. And it doesn't just change us in a spiritual sense. When I looked up that word quicken, it was interesting that it said that it increases life physically. That it literally increases life physically. I remember when one of the doctors, um, one of the many doctors that I know, um, one of the doctors that I went to after this last, 13-hour reconstructive back surgery, said, when did you break your neck? And I said, I didn't even know I ever broke my neck. And he said, well, yeah, 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 it broke and healed. I can see where it's severed and, and healed. And, and I said, you mean like just a split hair fraction? He said, no, I mean not like broken in half, but broke. Like you'd know if you broke your neck. And I thought, I didn't even know I broke my neck. And you know, really sitting here tonight, we don't have any idea how many times angels have saved us, saved our children, helped us, given to us, provided for us. How many times God has stepped in front of us, in between us. He goes before us, beside us, and, and he is always working. And his word is always working. But we can put it to work for us and in us and through us and to others from us, or we can let it lay dormant. I mean, I can take a vitamin that I know to be really good for me, maybe some um, multivitamin, or I can say, you know, I don't know why I'm not having better health because I bought that vitamin. And then someone might say, well, are you taking it? Um, no, but it's, it's in my bedside table. should be helping me a lot, you know. Well, I don't know what we think as believers that the word is supposed to just come through us as osmosis, that we just put it in a bedside table, or maybe we have a spouse that reads it a lot, so it's going to just kind of drift over to us. I mean, I don't know what we think. Or maybe we had a parent that really loved the Lord. Now, yes, the Bible says that he is faithful, God is faithful to a thousand generations and to those who love him. I mean, in other words, those of us who have had grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, fathers, 
aunts, uncles, we have a godly heritage. And when we do, we can be so, so, so thankful because that's God pursuing us and keeping his promises. But we need to realize that what is the promise of God is the word of God. And that God's word never returns void. Just like the rain comes and waters the earth and doesn't return up to heaven without doing that which God intended, God says his word doesn't return void without doing those things that he intended for it to do. That puts the pressure off me. You know, I used to get kind of nervous when people would come up for prayer, especially for specific things, because I'd think, you know, am I going to look like I'm not faithful or I don't have enough faith if this thing doesn't happen right away the way that they want it to happen. And now I realize I'm just giving out the word. If I pray, I just pray the word. I was at a church in Georgia and there were all these people kind of stumbling. Well, yeah, I'll just say it as it is. Kind of stumbling over their words and their prayers and trying to explain and re-explain and tell God exactly what was going on medically. And finally I just said, I, I, I can't do this. And I just started praying the word. And this one lady, she was from up north, um, said, oh my gosh, you're a prophet. And I said, I'm not a prophet. I just have some of the word hidden in my heart. That's it. It's because I needed it, not because I didn't need it, you know. That's what's so amazing about some Some people that we think, oh gosh, you know, that person's so holy. Well, no, they may know a lot of the scripture because they need a lot of the scripture. It's just like we talked about last week. The one who's been forgiven much loves much. The one who desperately needs God and is aware of that need. I'm I'm constantly, consistently, all the time aware of my need of God. And, and reasons that I should be and could be, and, and reasons that I also, though, could be really uptight and really nervous and maybe even mad at God. But I know what the Bible says is true experientially in my life, which I can share with other people, but also I have seen it in the lives of other people, and then I've seen the Word prove the Word and prove the Word and prove the Word. And I know the power of the Word of God. And so even though I do, I have very few people in my life saying, Kathleen, speak the Word out loud. What I'm saying, though, is that we don't have, in, 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 in our world, most of us saying the Word is alive, and it says that it's a sword, and it says that the sword has to come out of the mouth, and that Jesus used it that way. He didn't just think, devil, go away, go away, devil, go away, go away, go away. You know, when he was dragged into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, by the way, to be tested, because God will test us, but he will never tempt us. And the enemy, though, decided to tempt him. And it's right after Jesus was blessed and filled with the Spirit, so he was in this situation where he didn't get to eat, didn't get to drink, because that's usually also when the enemy attacks us, is after we've had a blessing and or after we're spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and relationally exhausted. And then that's when he goes for it, because he always kicks us when we're down. He didn't play fair. I mean, he didn't ever say, well, gosh, poor Kathleen, she's had cancer, she's had eight back, she had four back surgeries, she's had like four other structural surgeries and chronic pain, I just need to leave her alone, you know. No, he's going to just go for 
the gusto in my life and in your life. And the more you want to tell people about the Lord and the more you want to tell people the truth, the more he's going to go after you. And if he's not after you at all tonight, today, whenever you're hearing this message, <laughs> I would actually be more worried if I wasn't being attacked. I would think, oh, wow, maybe I'm not making any ripples. Whereas I've always joked about the fact that I want, when I get up in the morning, whether it's at 5.30 or 6, I want all the demons in hell and the enemy to go, oh, no, <laughs> you know, she's awake. She's going to do some serious damage. I don't want there to be complacency in hell. Neither do I want there to be complacency in heaven when I go to be with the Lord. I don't want them to be like, now, your name is what? You were, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sunday school, three, four years old, that's right. You colored, pictured Jesus, and smiled. Oh, okay, great. You know, and I'm being silly and I'm being facetious, but at the same time, I want us to feel better sometimes about the times that we feel like, oh my gosh, I just stood up from the last wave and I just got smacked in the face with another one. You know, being vertically challenged, um, I can say that when we would go to the coast, I would always appreciate when my dad would lift me up in his arms above the waves because. I would get smacked at the first sandbar, before the first sandbar, and just completely eyes filled with, you know, salt water. And I needed my dad to hold me up above the waves. And that's what the Word of God does. It's not that you're not in the waves. It's not that you're not going through the waves. But the Word will literally hold you above the breaker. It will hold you to where you can feel how wet and cold the water is. You can feel the salt water, perhaps, even stinging in your face. But you're not drowning. And there's a complete difference knowing that you're a little kid walking up through the waves. And here comes a big one, a big one, a big one. And you've got a hold of your dad's hand and he's going to lift you above it. That's a really different feeling because then you can even almost get that kind of like danger thrill seeking kind of giggle. Like little kids get like, okay, let's go. Yeah, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And they get really, really full of themselves when they know that they've got something backing them up. Uh, there's definitely times that I have really just thought, you know, I've got God, I've got the Word, I've got Jesus, what do I have to fear? And I thought, you know, that's a really whew, kind of full of myself thing to say. And then I realized, well, no, that's what the Word says. If God be for me, who be against me? And I would so much be out there making ripples and actually causing an effect and, and, and bringing people to know their Heavenly Father better, bringing them to a place of peace in themselves, than to be completely at rest and just completely not any threat to the enemy and just living my own little life and vicariously watching the world go by. You know, that's just not what we were called to do. So I want us to realize that the Word is dangerous. It's alive. I don't want you to think it's not. It's God's word. And I mean dangerous in a good way. When a person is full of life or personality, you don't walk all over them. And when a person is, is intelligent and you're having a conversation with them and you don't just insult them and insult them, well, how much more God? God is alive. He's not a little vitamin bottle in our dresser next to our table. As dusty as that Bible can get, 
It is alive. You open it up. You start saying any scripture. I don't care if it's, if it's you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lay down with, by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I don't care if it's something that simple or even you might think that deep. God is going to move and activate in his word, whatever it is. So if you ever don't know what to say to someone or you don't know how to pray over someone, just get the Bible out and pray the word. Get the Bible out and pray the word. It will never return void, ever. God's word has so much life in it. And Jesus, the word in action, is his heart and the will of God. You know, a testament is a will. And in the Old Testament, we saw the will of God being interpreted by men. I don't know about you, but I've lived on this earth long enough to know you can't trust people. I can't trust me. I even want me. I want to be trustworthy. I can't even trust me. I can't believe what a relief it was to find out that grace included that I didn't have to say that prayer, and I swear, God, I'll never, ever, ever again, ever, because I know I will. And I'm not talking about a particular repetitive sin, because God doesn't want us to have anything that masters us but Him. But I'm talking about as much as I want to do what God wants me to do all the time and think the way God wants me to think and act the way God wants me to act, I can't. But the more that I have the Word, the more I do without trying. It's the opposite of everything. It's like what God said when he said, you know, you go and you seek clothes and you seek food and you seek shelter. I know you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Lots of times, as especially parents, we go to the emergency situation. You know, whatever is the most emergency fire, we're going to put that out. You know, and God really doesn't even want us to be like that. He wants us to go to him and say, go into you first. And I'm going to trust you to just take care of this situation. Show me what to do. What's the next step? And he always has spoken to me through his word. But through the Old Testament, it was hard for them to know God because man was interpreting the word. God wasn't interpreting the word. He was speaking through prophets who would then speak to the people. He was speaking through the law to show the people that they couldn't do it. The law was set up to show them, you can't do this. It was a perfect place and a perfect world in the Garden of Eden, and God didn't even intend for man to die. And man is the one that gave over his authority and his reign and gave uh, away this, this place, this perfect situation that God had intended where God and man's fellowship wouldn't have to be broken at all, where they could walk together in the cool of the day. I think about that and I think, gosh, Adam, you're so lucky. And then I realize, wow, wait, we have that. We can walk with God in the cool of the day. We can walk with God in the warmth of the morning. We can talk with God in the middle of the night. We can have that unbroken fellowship. What breaks it? I'm going to say sin, but I'm going to say something that's going to make more sense to you. Fear. You know that fear really is Satan's calling card? It really is. When we let fear in, that's what pushes love out. I mean, really, fear is the opposite of love, not hate. It's really fear. Um, fear over what is mine, or fear over what might happen, or fear over what did happen, or fear over what could happen, instead of saying, this is my daily bread, and Jesus is my daily word, and I'm going to trust him. 
And just like when my dad would hold me over the waves and I could feel that they were cold and I could feel that they were salty, I knew, though, even though I was uncomfortable, I was not drowning. I wasn't going to drown. Even though maybe one would smack me right in the face, I still wasn't going to drown because God wasn't going to let me. Well, how much more if our earthly fathers love us, if they're good earthly fathers, the book of James says if an earthly father loves a child and the child asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? How much more than will your heavenly father who loves you? So even sometimes I know that it's been true in my own life as a parent, I can want something so much for my child, so, so much that I get this pride thing going of, God, why are you not coming through with this? Because I guess I've got to beg you to love my child. And God has to go, hello, I created your child. I loved your child before you loved your child. I loved you before you loved your child. I loved everything about you and your child. I know how many hairs are on the head of your child. And you have the audacity to say, do something? I'm doing something. Your job is to get the word out. Speak the word. Believe me. Activate things. Quicken the situation. Get other people to speak the word. Believe me. Activate things and quicken the situation. And I don't know why God made it this way, but he says if two of you agree on anything on earth, it'll be done in heaven. He just doesn't say when it's going to come and be manifest. And that's just like when we said quicken means that a seed will actually germinate or reproduce. Well, when a farmer puts seed in the ground, he doesn't go check the next day to see if he has a corn stalk. He waits patiently, the Bible says. Patiently wait like a farmer who plants the seed for the time of harvest, for the season, for that seed to come into fruition. Because, see, God cares more about our children eternally than he does temporally. Oh, I didn't think about that. You mean, if he let up in certain situations, some of our kids might... Well, I'm not saying that. I don't know. God's God. I'm just saying that God sees the overall picture, and he cares more about you, and he cares more about me eternally than he does for us to be comfortable. Oh, but I want everyone to be comfortable and happy. Oh, are you, you're, you're American, right? That's right. Oh, that's why we think that. Well, not everyone is comfortable and happy. But you can have absolute joy and peace without being comfortable and happy. And that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. I am rarely comfortable. I am mostly joyful. I'm not always happy. I'm usually peaceful. Would I like to be comfortable? Yes. Do I think that God wants me uncomfortable? No, because I can go back to the very beginning of the Vox Day, the Word of God, and I can look and see what he created and how he wanted it to be and how he didn't even create sickness or disease or death or sin. How the enemy let that in because we let the enemy in. And how often in our lives, Fear can be that little entrance to miserableness. How many people do you know are happy all the time? None. How many people do you know can be joyful, even through difficult circumstances? The ones that I know that truly are joyful during difficult circumstances 
have this eternal picture. And they aren't not enjoying today, but they're saying, you know what, I have just enough mercy and grace for today. And God's so good, he's just going to lift me over that wave. I know I'm not going to drown. And just about when I think I can't stand that cold water anymore and that salt water, and just when I just can't stand it and I'm sunburned to a crisp, then I get to go to sleep. Or he brings a word of relief. Or he answers my prayer. Is God the one hurting his children? No, he tells us specifically that he's good. And that he's the father, and that he's the father of lights, and he doesn't change like shifting shadows. And I love the way the book of James puts that, because it's saying, you know, in other words, it's almost like James wrote, if your father on earth is a little bit moody, know that God isn't. He's always the same, you know. Maybe that could be like the Kathleen Witten translation. And we all have been around people where we feel like we measure up, then we don't measure up. We measure up, we don't measure up. Or they're happy and they're not happy. Or maybe they're just a little bit moody. God's not like that. Every time you go back to him, he's the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. If you messed up today, he loves you. If you did everything right today, he loves you. If you have all your goals and all of your priorities in a row, he loves you. If you haven't cleaned your closets out in 10 years, he loves you. He loves you. He's not going to love us anymore. But we can fulfill our purpose in him and have deeper contentment, deeper satisfaction, deeper joy. The more we know him, the more we read his word, then the more we walk with him. It's really a favor to us. But then again, we're all attached as one body, so it affects the rest of us out here too. So guess what? When even just one of you decides, you know, I'm not living for God today. Uh Uh-uh. It could affect me. I keep trying to show my nine-year-old that. He didn't get to go to a little party, a birthday party for a friend of his in his class, and this little boy was so excited about this party, and I'm just going to be honest. I just, and Storm got in trouble, and we told him that morning, if you get in trouble, you're not going to the party. It affected not just Storm. It really affected the little boy. Because he could only invite a certain amount of people. Who are you affecting today when you're saying, oh, I'm just hurting myself? Well, Jesus loves me and I'm just hurting myself. Well, I'm just hurting myself and my spouse. Okay, that's right. Well, and our dog. Well, and my children. No, it is multiplicity of people. There are any number of people that are affected by the good things we do and the things that aren't. The God things that we do and the things that aren't. If we're believing or not believing, it is such an amazing thing for me to even just walk through the grocery store. And sometimes I'll do this. I'll I'll really be looking at my list, which, you know, I used to be really good about writing it all out on the computer and stuff, and now I'm happy to get it on like three or four different stickums, and I'm happy to get three of the four different stickums into the grocery store so that we just have something that was on the list. So I can say, well, I did get Cheerios. I just didn't see any of the other things y'all wrote earlier. The sticky came off. I will look around in the grocery store at people's faces. It is sad to me. It is so sad to me to look at the color and look at the selection, look at the foods that we have. And most of the people in the store can buy 
the foods that they're coming in for. And even those that can't have ability to buy. And they have a face on like you would not believe. And I remember at one point in my life when this wasn't too long ago, and I won't say which child, but I looked at one of my children and I said, what is it going to take to make you happy? Because I realized, you know, if this was going well, then this wasn't. And if this was going well, then this wasn't. And if this was going well, then this might not. And if this might not be going well, even though it was going well, it doesn't mean it's still going to keep going well. Are you a child like that? A child of God that is just constantly, constantly, constantly worried and fearful? We need to take the Word of God and put it in our hearts and hide it in our hearts. So often we'll, we'll pray a prayer of like, God, just don't let me sin anymore. I don't want to sin against you. I really, really love you. And the Bible says, I'll tell you how not to sin. Hide the Word of God in your heart. It says, I hide the Word of God in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. It's all about the Word because the Word is alive. So in the Old Testament, we got the Word interpreted for us. And that's why we have this like missing pictures of God. We have this little bits of you can see who God really is, but then all of a sudden it doesn't look right. And then you can see, because everything was blamed on God. There was no manifestation or teaching about the enemy. Jesus came and did that. It always cracks me up when people say, well, I just really don't like to talk about the devil if we can just skip that. Well, then don't read the New Testament. Don't read any words in red. Because he's the one, Jesus is the one that said, hey, let me tell you, John 10, 10, it's the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and life abundant. I'm going to show you that in the beginning there was evil and there was good and God is good and I am good and I am God's son. And if something bad is happening to you, it's not from God because God's a good heavenly father. And he started using examples so that people would understand. And so in the New Testament, God started imparting to us the picture of God. And so when we read the New Testament, we read about Jesus. And that's why I named this Jesus in Action Reveals the Heart and Will of God. Because Jesus in Action shows us what God is really like. So that we don't have to sit back anymore and wonder, you know, I really wonder what God is really like. I mean, I wonder if he's really mad at me or wonder if he even knows that my child is, is sick. Well, look at Jesus. Jesus said, don't stop any little children from coming to me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can't even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a little child. If we ever wonder about Jesus caring about someone, I mean, think about the, the links that he went to to save those who not only didn't deserve it, but they were filled with with demonic forces. Oh, she said demons again. Get her out of the church. We've got to see that the Word of God is alive. In the New Testament, Jesus interprets himself by saying, Here I am. Here am I. I am God. And that's what made all the religious people so mad because it was like, Wait, excuse me, you don't fit my picture and you don't fit my rules. And I wash my hands this many times a day, and I'm also head of XYZ committee. And if you come rocking things around, then our committee may, you know, become defunct. And so we need you to go on and leave town. 
See, the real, real words of Christ shake things up. They will shake up your family, but it will reshift it into something beautiful. It may shake you up on the inside, but it may make you realize, I don't want fear in my life anymore. I know where it's from now, and I'm not going to take it. I was speaking with someone not too long ago who you could have never, ever perceived that they were an anxious person, and yet plagued their entire life up until what looked to be the worst part of their life with fear and anxiety. And so from the outside looking in, it was like, oh gosh, this person had such a great life. And then at the end of the life, it's just so sad. And why does God let that happen? And this is terrible. This person was in perfect peace at the end of life. Spent a lot of life full of anxiety and fear. We don't know everything. Matter of fact, I would proclaim more that I know very little. And what I do know is the Word. And that's why I have confidence to share the Word. It's not because I think I'm so tall, because I'm not, or I think I'm so smart, because I'm not, or I think I never mess up on the English language, because I do. Ain't you hearing me? Okay, I just said that to make my mom freak out. She's like, I don't know why those people have to say, ain't and can't. Why can't they just speak right? She's from East Texas. You know, it's amazing, though, even though the Old Testament was interpreted by man and and we had the law to interpret God's will to us, even though it was more just saying, look, by the law, I'm showing you that you can't do this by yourself. I mean, you're going to have to keep sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and asking for forgiveness and having all these festivals and doing things over and over again and washing the same things and making sure things are clean. And the priests are going to have to have bell on their robes because if they don't do everything exactly right, they're going to drop dead and we're going to have to actually pull them. We're going to know when the bells stop ringing so that we can pull them out of the Holy of Holies because we can't go in the Holy of Holies because we're not holy. Well, that was normal for them. And we need to realize that that whole thing was pointing to Jesus Christ who says, I'm holy. And then he died for us, one-time sacrifice, pure lamb of God, just like the Passover lamb. So that when we receive his blood, his sacrifice, death passes us over, just like Passover. He fulfilled every festival. He fulfilled every law. And when we learn about Jesus, I don't want you separating Old Testament and New Testament. I want to share this scripture in Matthew 5:17. Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, I'm going to fill in the blanks. You know, we used to have this little silly game called Mad Libs, where it'd be missing an adjective, missing an adverb, missing a verb, a pronoun, and They would be these little funny stories that they would have us fill in, like noun, verb, adverb. And the story would never make sense until all those blanks were filled in. And then, of course, it was hilarious because you didn't know what you were really filling in for what sentence. You might say dog and then say, you know, the dog, you know, operated on the man. And then, of course, you're in third grade, so you roll over laughing and you learn parts of the English language. So it's actually a really good idea, and somebody made a lot of money doing it. Jesus came in and filled in the blanks of the Old Testament. There were so many things that didn't make sense, and so people would just fill them in, just like we do today. Haven't you ever noticed that? Even when there's silence, people will just start talking, you know? 
Or if they don't know what to say and something bad has happened, they'll say, well, God needed another angel in heaven. And you just want to say, angels aren't, we don't die and become angels. That's not even right theology. But most of us have all heard something like that. I remember when my grandmother was growing up, my mom said that she grew up in East Texas and there was always like something you shouldn't do. Like if you're walking with someone, you shouldn't part ways and you shouldn't let a black cat cross your path. And there were all these funny sayings and beliefs and that's what people do when we don't get it. What's sad to me today is that even today, we have the answers, we have the Word of God right here, and I still hear people on television that are authoritative, that are making tons and tons of money, that are out there in the world telling people how it is. When God is saying, no, it's not, here's how it is. The first will be last, the last will be first. And God is showing us how it is. No, there really are some moral absolutes because, see, God is absolute. Because, see, even if you mathematically think about an absolute, it's because it cannot be anything but itself. I mean, it is its own entity. It's an absolute. And because God is an absolute, he has things that he has put forth as us being in his image that are absolutes. And yet we live in the day of there are no absolutes. It's all relative. Well, that's not what the word says. And I know I've said this before, but it's just too good of a quote to not say again. We are a Jesus-saturated, scripture-ignorant society. And it is hurting us. And the more we can know the word, which is so exciting, the more it sets us free. And the more free we get, the more free other people get. And back to my story about the grocery store. I forgot why I was even saying any of that. Is I like to go with a smile on my face and try to be approachable, whether I feel like it or not, because I cannot tell you the last time I went to the grocery store and didn't end up ministering to someone. People are desperate. People need the Word of God. They need hope. They need life. And the more life I have in me, the more I can give out. The more life that I have in me, the more it benefits me. But I literally forget about that because I'm so excited about helping other people. And then I'm so excited when someone ever says, wow, you remind me of someone. His name was Jesus. Me? You mean, I mean, you know I highlight my hair, don't you? Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, you know, um, are you serious? Me? I remind you of him? Yeah. Wow. See, because we are supposed to be known by our love. And love, the Bible says, is without fear. And most Christians I identify with because they love Jesus, but I think they're awesomely fearful. Not fearful in a reverent way of God, but fearful people. They, they are just as anxious and worried as the world. Instead of saying, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm getting this Bible out. I'm dusting it off. I'm speaking the word out loud. God is my portion forever. He is my inheritance. He is everything that I need. He is going to take care of his own. He loves me. He loves my children. He loves my children more than I love my children. Sorry, God, for ever having pride and standing up to you and saying that you don't. 
that's like saying, I made my child, you know, like I went through what we talked about, how, you know, you go through a drive through and here's one of my children who will remain unnamed. I like a cheeseburger with no mayonnaise, no mustard, ketchup, extra pickles, and tomatoes, and lettuce, please. Of course, I don't know where she gets that, because I am the easiest orderer in the world. Not, but... I figure if you used to be a waitress, you can order anything in any way you want because they're supposed to be able to remember and help and write it down. And it drives me crazy when they don't write it down because then I'm like, they're not going to get it right. They're not going to get it right. You know, I'm going to end up with, you know, salad dressing all over my steak, you know. And it usually does happen that way. Anyway, I want to tell you more than anything tonight that if you can see Jesus in the Word, you can see the heart, the personality, and the will of Father God. You don't have to guess. You don't have to be worried about it. You don't have to imagine him as your own earthly father and say, well, my only earthly father was really nice, except, and so God must be that way. Or I didn't have an earthly father, and so I've kind of had to watch out for myself, and so God must be that way. No, he says, Look at Jesus. That is me. I'm going to explain myself. And then the Holy Spirit is so good, and I rely on him so much. To interpret for believers, to interpret for all of you all what he wants you to hear. He knows I'm not off point intro. I've been talking about my intro for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, almost an hour. But he knows what you need to hear. I rely on him so much. That means that I have had one scripture, Matthew 5:17, that I planned on sharing, and all the rest of it was because he wants us to hear something. That's a God who cares for us and loves us and thinks of us as individuals. That's why I have not been able to write a sermon down. Not that that's wrong to do. It's just the way that God operates to me. And maybe I'm not a teacher, but I do think I'm a passer. Like, you know, at, at Thanksgiving when you have some sweet potatoes and somebody goes, oh, that looks good. Can I have some? And you pass it next to them. That's kind of what I do. I pass the bread around. But if I take a really good bite, I'm going to let you have that same bite. I'm not going to go, well, I didn't plan to let them hear that, God. Because, see, I've done that before, and then I can't sleep at night thinking, what is that person going through? Because I don't know everything. Matter of fact, I don't know anything. I only know of you what you let me know of you. I had a friend the other day text me and say, bet you didn't know I could play guitar. I text back and said, no, because you never told me. Never showed me. Never showed me your guitar. Never talked about guitar. You know, God doesn't need us to show him or tell him. He knows everything about us and loves us anyway. And on top of all that, he says, I have plans to prosper you in Jeremiah 29, 11, and give you a future and a hope. And I don't want you to look at your life in the middle of this big wave and go, this is it. I want you to realize I'm going to lift you over the wave. We're going to make it through and have an eternal perspective. Don't fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Well, how is love perfected? By knowing love. Well, who's love? God says, I am love. Well, but who's God? Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The more I know Jesus, the more I have love, the more I have love, the more I have confidence. The more I have confidence in, 
in God, the less I fear. It's like that little kid that is being picked on and picked on and picked on and picked on and bullies down the street, and, and he just gets beat up and kind of gets home, and the dad goes, hey, well, what went on here? And the kid tells him, and the dad says, well, let me go with you. And so the bullies down the street see the dad walking behind the little kid. Well, all of a sudden, the little kid's really, you know, strong. Well, is he any stronger than he was before? No, but he knows his dad's behind him. His dad's with him. We need to have that confidence. But confidence is faith. It's really kind of an interchangeable thing. Only we use faith and it's this elusive word out there like faith one day. It's confidence in God. And we have faith, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, when we hear the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing. And I'm convinced that in my life, nine-tenths of it is hearing me say the word of God. I was talking to my mom the other day on the phone, and I finally just, this happened frequently. I could hear my own voice echo, echo, while I was talking to her, talking to her. So I couldn't really even hear her, her. It was really bothering me, bothering me. I finally said, Mom, Mom, i got to call you back, back. Ugh, ugh. Because all I could hear here was me, me. And so I called her back, and finally I had a clear line, and I thought, God, that's such a great example. Because most of us don't hear the Holy Spirit echoing in our hearts. We hear our own voice. And when we hear our own voice, we can't even hear the other person. Because we hear our own voice interpreting the other person. And when we hear our own voice, it even drives us crazy because we're usually sick of ourselves. We won't admit it, but, you know, that's half the time. Why we're so defensive is because I'm already mad at myself. I'm already frustrated at myself. I've already written over January all my New Year's resolutions say the same thing. I'm going to read the Bible, but I don't. Well, I want you to know God loves you anyway. He doesn't love you anymore whether you did or didn't. But you won't have confidence in him unless you know him. And you won't know him unless you open the voice of God, the word of God, to get to know Jesus, the son of God, and know the will of God. And then you've got faith. And then that's what's so interesting is the word says, what moves God? Tears? Whining, complaining, that's something that we're learning at our house too, along with etiquette lessons. Along with close your mouth while you eat, we are learning that whining, complaining, dragging your feet, throwing your tin shoes in the kitchen, and begging your dad is not going to get him to do something faster or better. The word says that God is moved by faith. And it says in the book of Galatians that faith is activated by love. And I couldn't tell you exactly scientifically why our heater's not working, but it has something to do with like a valve and a fuse. And the guy just finally got it down to this. He goes, ma'am, you know, the valve, the fuse, the valve, the fuse. Finally, he just goes, look, if you don't have the valve working and the fuse working, then your heater's not working. You've got to have them both working. And I was like, okay, great. That's the same thing. If you don't have love working, faith's not going to work. That's why the Bible says that if I don't have love, I can have the faith that will move mountains and, and, and I can give away everything I have to the poor and I can have the voice of the angels and, and, and but without love, I, I'm nothing. I've gained nothing. What motivates God is saying, I love you. He's already saying it to us. He wants to hear it back to him. He wants us to believe in him to trust in his word, regardless of what we see or feel. That's hard. Yeah, it is kind of hard, isn't it? And that's why we have so many examples in here. 
of people past the possibility of the word of God being fulfilled in their life. And then the word being fulfilled when they didn't give up. And even some of them took the wrong path and God still fulfilled the word in their life. And we need to have hope in that. Most of them, because they weren't perfect, there was only one, Jesus Christ, who's the word of God. And he's here tonight. He's speaking to you tonight. Sometimes people go, well, why do you prepare if you don't end up saying half of anything you ever prepare to say? Spend time with the Word. Just to have confidence. To have confidence I can hear Him. That He can put the brakes on me and, and turn me the other way. Do you hear the Holy Spirit or do you hear your own voice echoing? Your own voice is a really lonely, desolate, depressing thing to hear. The Word of God is an inspiring, true, alive, activating thing to hear. We need to be speaking the Word to ourselves, to our circumstances, over us, even in the simplest, simplest ways. The simplest scripture. Sometimes we just laugh like, well, I only know, you know, one scripture. I can do all things to God who strengthens me. That's all I know. Well, say it, and say it again, and again, and again, and again, and you just wait. By the end of the day, you'll be like, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. It's like that little boy who got beat up down the street, and all of a sudden, his dad's behind him, and he realizes, my dad's behind me. And all of a sudden, he's like, bring it on. Bring it on, brother. You know? And I'm not at all being in any kind of race or shape or form. I'm saying that we get that strength, and we get that attitude, we get that power from knowing our Father. So that cancer is not some big, giant, scary word. Or um, stocks falling isn't some big, giant, scary word. Or even this is what your kid just did today isn't some big, giant, scary phone call. Yes, we have fear. But God says don't live in fear. Give it to me. Don't be anxious about it. Grab hold of me. Give that thing to me. Seek me first and all these other things I'm going to take care of. I will take care of them. But what we generally do is try to take care of everything else so that we can finally get to God, and that's Satan's trick. Seems like, I'm going to keep you so busy that you never get to God's Word. And then we say things like, I don't understand why I'm so busy. I want to read the Bible. I really want to know God's Word, but I'm so busy I can't even get to it. We'll give the enemy his whole like way to set you up. Usually most of us do. Satan, this is the way you can trip me up. Keep me really busy and I will never read the word. Okay, that, that was what will work on me. You know, and we laugh and we smile, but it's the truth. And so then Satan goes, I don't even have to do anything with this one except for just keep them busy, you know. So I throw a lot of good things at them, kind of throw some bad, kind of, you know, not, not God things, just kind of good things, just busy things, busy. So they're busy. So they don't know the word, so they won't be at all powerful. And if they're not powerful, they won't make a difference in the world. And they don't make a difference in the world. That's just one less person I have to worry about. Are you dangerous for Christ? And I'm not talking about, are you a missionary? My daughter has that in her heart. She wants to be a missionary. She's talking about going to Latvia now. She just got back from Peru last summer. I had another mother go, you let her go to Peru instead of camp? And I said, yes. And she said, well... You let her go to Peru with who? And I said, well, she went, she had a backpack. And I was in a hurry, and I didn't realize that 
you know, I didn't say, well, it was a group out of Oklahoma, and I didn't have time to do that because I was already ministering to someone at the grocery store, so I was racing home to get home for my nine-year-old. So I said, no, no, she didn't go by herself. She had a backpack, but I'll talk to you later. And, you know, later I was able to clear it up because I got an email from her, probably very concerned about our family and our mental stability, but um, we don't go anywhere alone. But we don't need to be missionaries and be the best and the greatest. And we are given the measure of faith that we need to accomplish that which God already wrote about us in his book of life before the creation of the world. We are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created to do the good works that he preordained that we should walk in them. That should blow your mind right there. And what does he need from us? Faith. Confidence in him. And how do we get it? His word. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are bigger than circumstances. You are bigger than impossibilities. You are bigger than chasms. You are bigger than darkness. Even one little tiny speck of light wipes darkness away. Lord, I ask that every single one of us would be lights in the area that you have us. You have preordained for us to be in this generation, in this time, in this place, in this city, in this area, with our families, all of those things so that we can fulfill the purpose for which you have sent us. Help us, God, to know how weak we are so that you can be strong. Help us, God, not to know our own strengths, but to know yours. Help us, God, to seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and his kingdom and to know without a doubt that all these other things that we're seeking will be added unto that. I praise you, God, for your word, your truth, your life, and your love. And I thank you, God, that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what a gentle, delightful creative, amazing, perfect, loving, human God was for us. We just thank you, Father, that we can know you through your Son. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.